All right, y'all. Welcome back to the Eat, Drink, Travel, Y'all podcast, episode 10. Uh, We've been doing this for two and a half months today. I'm so excited to have the one and only Chef Byron Gomez. You know him from Top Chef Season 18. Uh, He is at 7908 Aspen um, cooking. He's doing a lot of great things. Chef Byron, thank you. Thank you so much. So exciting. I've been waiting for it. <laughs> I know. For a You've long been time. Doing lots of podcasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've been traveling, I've been doing a lot of stuff. But uh I mean we met each other what how like two months ago? Two months ago. I it's like yeah. the third time I've seen you. Yeah. I feel like I you know, we're just coming out of COVID, so we're still not back to seeing people yeah. full time. And yeah, I yeah. feel like I see you yeah you more than most people. But <laughs> no, it's it's really exciting. Thank you, Steph, for having me. Yeah. Uh, it's been something we've been talking about it for a while, and I guess I'm cool enough now. To oh, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm so lucky. He he sent me a message. Um, I saw he did a podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I, I sent him something on Instagram. Like, that's great. And he's like, just waiting to get yeah, asked I know. to do your podcast. And I said, well, the joke's on you, because now that you said that, you got it. And now you came here to And here I am. So, yeah, so yeah. in person Amazing. at the restaurant. Um, You guys have been following along this week. Yeah. I've been in Denver, yeah. and I called Byron a couple weeks ago i was like hey i want to be in denver what if i just come over to aspen let's do the podcast in person it's way better in person how uh how you like in aspen i mean i you know i just got here 20 maybe 45 (laughs) minutes ago um it's beautiful awesome it's it's so cute too i mean it's kind of what I imagine, just a amazing, quaint, cute little mountain town with everything really and everything. You know, I think I drove by like a Dolce and Gabbana. Yeah, you know, that, you yeah, know, that's e- Aspen. E- everything you may need, <laughs> just right at your fingertips. Exactly right. And, and you've been here for what two years? Two years. It's yeah. gonna be. It's been two years this this month. Yeah. Uh, beginning of this month was my two year mark, and uh, it's been it's, it's been amazing. I mean, Aspen is very magical. It's a little like you say, quaint little town in the, t- the mountains. It's mad, yeah, magical. Uh, for yeah, sure. in the winter is like this little snow globe i call it mm-hmm. uh but for now you know in the summers is like the most perfect weather and the most beautiful greens you will ever see beautiful drive and then from, yeah yeah, yeah in the fall everything just turns yellow all the aspen trees are white with like yellow tops it's really really cool and the drive here yeah is, is it was it was very pretty definitely yeah. make time for the drive yeah, if you sure. do it from denver and yeah. you Okay, we're we're going to get into all his background. I know you know what's cooking in New York before this, but let's let's take it back to the beginning. Let's wow. take it back to like cool. when you know you some of your earliest maybe food memories, and then like when you know you realized you wanted to become a chef and took interest in food. Yeah, uh, so I was I'm born and raised in Costa Rica. Uh, I lived in Costa Rica till I was eight years old. My parents. My parents, my mom first moved to the U.S. in 1995. Then my dad followed eight months later in 96. With you guys? No. And then the kids got left behind. Okay. And then um, in 97, that's when me and my two sisters came to the U.S. Okay. Uh, So, yeah. So, early memories, I would say, would be like Sundays gatherings. Like, I I had an uncle who had a a van. Well, it was like like a minibus. And he would collect like all my cousins from around the towns and my aunts and uncles. And we will always gather at my house for some reason. And the guys will be watching the, the, the soccer league, like the, the, the local soccer league. And the ladies would be in the kitchens, just kind of cooking. Um, and that to me was like my first food memories. Uh, and then when I came to the U S I got stripped away from that. 
you know, then <clears throat> it was just my immediate family. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anyone. You know, we were a small community. Uh, my parents really didn't know the language. They didn't know the culture. Left their jobs. It was, it was just like started from zero. Yeah. Uh, which it was very shocking. Yeah. You know, and kind of as a little kid living through that. Uh, yeah, was, that's, was, a ma- that's a massive thing yeah. to go through is what, a seven-year-old exactly. from yeah. Costa Rica to what? Yeah. To New York? To New York. Yeah, yeah exactly. So <laughs> Change if you're if you're an adult, I would say. Yeah. So um, yeah, and then you know, grew up in New York, uh, Long Island, and then most of my mm-hmm. career was in New York City. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, kind of fast forwarding from the time that I got here till maybe like my early teens was the um, it was a summer. It was a I was out of school for a summer, and a family a uh, friend of ours kind of was a manager at a very famous world renowned restaurant i will say called burger king so <laughs> yes. uh, <laughs> i'm pretty sure there's still those around you know? <laughs> I, I think we still got to burger king yeah and uh, he asked me to if i wanted to work and uh, i remember uh, that summer i started like in the front cashier and uh, it was cool but I kind of realized I'm not maybe such a people's person when it comes to kind of, uh, well, uh, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. In the way, uh, I mean, the menu's been the same for the past 16 yeah. years. And people just have a hard time ordering. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I, I don't get that. But whatever, to each his own. <laughs> no judging here. Um, and then they asked me to do, to do drive-through. And, and that was a little bit tough just because... As a teenager, you know, multitasking, like speaking on the mic. Speaking a second language. Yeah, all of that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I didn't like that. And then one day a guy was uh, called out sick in the kitchen. And they asked me if I could help out with, like, prep. And What is prep at Burger King? So, Tell us what you were doing. I mean, um, at that time, I don't know how it is now, but this was, what, maybe 15 years ago? Everything was, like, fresh. Like, you cut your own lettuce. You would cut your own tomatoes. Really? Yeah, nothing came, like, pre-bagged. Wow. Which it was cool. That I, is, I, that's surprising. I think maybe changed nowadays. I don't know. I haven't stepped yeah, in Burger King. Yeah, we're not making like statements about yeah. how Burger King prepares our food today. But that's pretty – that, that's surprising to me. Yeah, okay? so that was really cool. So you're and, actually cutting up vegetables and yeah, doing stuff. Yeah, yeah. You're not re- just taking a bag no, and putting it in No, 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 no. I remember uh, there was this one machine. I can't explain how it is, but – it, it was like a little flat table that it had like four feet that you put on the bottom. I mean, you, you kind of like it has like suction cups that sucks to the table. And you had like a little cup and the cup had blades. So you would put the tomatoes there and then you would pull this lever and it would push cut. through the blade yeah. and then it would cut the tomato. All the slices. Exactly. And I was like, you know, as a 15 year old, I'm like, this is dope. This is like, magic. Yeah, this is cool. <laughs> I get to work with cool tools and prepare food. And uh, I got hooked to that and then putting the, the patties on one end of the conveyor belt and they will go through like the broiler and then come out cooked on the other end. And then you just assemble the sandwiches, whatever says on the screen and wrap them up and I really dug that. So I yeah. think that's where my interest of culinary kind of started. What a great story. Yeah, and so, so you're like 14, 15 I was 14, 15. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I needed like a, what we called uh, back in the day a blue card from high school. So I wasn't allowed to work like more than 20 hours a week. Uh-huh. And they had to monitor all of that. Yeah. And, you know, I couldn't work past like 9 p.m. because it was a school night. But uh, I really got hooked into cooking. And that's what Yeah, that guy me. called out sick and that changed your life. Exactly. Really. Well, went downhill after that. So, so how so. long are you at Burger King? <laughs> 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 Nothing was ever as good as working at Burger King. Exactly. Top shelf. 
joke. No, 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 Like an Oreo blast shake. Yeah, they yeah. Had. They they have all the good stuff. Uh, yeah, it was, it was delicious. I, I uh, so I did well. that for about a year while going through uh, going to high school and um, yeah, it was great. I even got like some serving shifts and like oh, bus okay. boy and things like that just because I really wanted to learn more about the business yeah. and, and and the arts of hospitality and what is it to run a restaurant. Um, and towards the end there in the kitchen, I moved around about in a year, took me to like go through every station. The last station is the the meat, the grill, what they call. So, you know, you, you deal with the steaks, you deal with the ribs, you have to have more experience. And uh, I guess some people in the kitchen weren't too fond of that. There was a, a certain individual who... Uh, Kind of, you know, always had it for me in the sense of like, um, I don't know, maybe I moved up the ranks too fast compared to everybody else. But like I said, I always really loved it. And uh, I was changing his uh, like dirty hotel pans that we keep the uh, the steaks in because I was working the lunch service. So I wanted to have him. I wanted him to have a clean station mm -hmm. for the PM service. And for some reason, he used to get like, upset. And he, I remember I was changing a hotel pan full of sirloins. And he just, like, we got into a, like, little, you know, argument, whatever. And he just, like, took the hotel pan from my hands and just slammed it down on the floor and kicked it. And when he kicked it, the edge of the hotel pans are very sharp. So that kind of like cut my leg a little bit. And how old are you? And I was high school, so I was like 16, 17. Yeah, um, I got really upset. Like, honestly, uh, I always wanted to grab his face and smash it against yeah. the grill, but didn't get to that point. Uh, just got like really almost like seeing like little stars. That's yeah. how upset I got. And I just started walking away. And as I was walking away, he I remember vividly, he, would, he told me, he's like, You will never amount to nothing. You will never be past a line cook because of who you are. And uh, we'll talk about it more. But he's like, because of your immigration status also. And that is something that marked my life. Uh, I knew where I was at in my, at what point in my life I was at. I knew the possibilities I had, not only as a teenager, but a person that wasn't able to go to college or as a person also who is an immigrant. Uh, and lives in an immigrant community that gets, you know, blinded by a lot of opportunities. So just because of you're scared of speaking up because something might happen, you might get deported and, you know, you don't want to act up. You don't want to be the black sheep of the family because then your family's running that risk. All of those things, you know, uh, definitely affected certain choices in my life. But I was, I guess I was always the black sheep. Whenever somebody said no, I was like, yes. When somebody said yes, I was like, no. <laughs> uh, I was always against the system. I'm like, I'm not going to let anything like that oppress me because mm -hmm. you only have one life. Yeah. And, and you know, in Costa Rica, we have this saying called uh, Pura Vida, which means everything to us. It means like how you're doing. I'm doing well. What's up? And uh, it's just literally translates to pure life. And, and it's a, it's a, it's a, style of living it's uh it's a thing that we adapted 
that no matter what it is, life is always good. And you always got to look at the best side of it. That's a, I, you know, I told you I've been to, to Costa Rica and I feel like that's like the first thing you hear when yeah. you step off the plane uh-huh. and it does, it just permeates that it is, it's a more, and it's a more simple, it is healthy, Everything. just, yeah, it's, yeah. Just a, it's a great way of so, life. Pura vida. So, yeah, pura vida. <laughs> uh, good advice always, exactly. you know, right? Well, so, okay. So this guy just, you know, sounds like this though, like maybe almost inspired you to work harder. I mean, at that point, you know, not realizing maybe later on in life, you, you learn that you come to these wine intersections mm-hmm. sometimes in life and part of being a grown up and, and, and learning how to manage through life is like, what decisions do I make at this wine intersection? So I guess that I can remember that was one of the ones that I always, you know, come into play when I think about how my life is now compares who have could have been. And the wine intersection was like, okay, I could either pout and get upset mm-hmm. and be like, you know what, this guy is right and give him the power over me mm-hmm. or use that as fuel yeah. to just, you know, give me that next push mm-hmm. for the drive and the goals and the passion, determination, everything that kind of comes with that. So I take it to take that on that path. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how at that point, <laughs> but um, I'm going to start taking my steps down that path. And we'll see. Um, after I got done with high school, I couldn't go to college. One of my biggest lessons in life was my older sister, Karina. She was a national honor roll. She was one of the best students I've ever encountered in my life. And because of my immigration status that now I am DACA. So uh, for those that don't know, DACA is a program that the uh, Obama administration put into place Mm -hmm. uh, back in 2012. And pretty much how it happened, it was like there was this generation of people, I would say, that came to the U.S. when they were little, were never never able to be granted citizenship or residency here in the U.S., Mm -hmm. but are from the U.S., but are not recognized by the U.S. government legally, and they're from other countries, Mm -hmm. but they're not from those countries because they didn't grow up there. Mm -hmm. The culturally, maybe speaking, like household-wise, that's the only culture that they could kind of relate to back home. Mm -hmm. But so it's like, okay, they're not from here, but they are from here. They're not from over there, but they are from over there. Yeah. So what do we do with this group of individuals? And so what did this, this gets put in place in 2012, Mm -hmm. and so does that give you citizenship or? No, no. So still within parentheses, we're very limited to what we could do. So pretty much the U.S. said, okay, well, you guys are a confusing group of fuckers <laughs> that we don't know what the hell we're going to do with you guys. And we're just going to put you between these two parentheses. So what it is, is like, okay, well, we're not going to deport you, but it's like this whole application process. You have to be under like under 30. You have to show that you have like a, a high school diploma, no criminal record, mm-hmm. that you pay your taxes. So, you know, you, you make it, it makes it hard. And you apply too. for this? So I apply for it. I qualify your through everything. Your sisters apply for it too? Uh, yes, they apply for for it um so everything worked out well and i qualified and pretty much what this gives you daca is uh a two-year 
a working permit here in the U.S. Okay. So you're now you have a social security number. Now you could get a license. And what year you did you get, get yours? Uh, this started in 2012. Okay. I got mine in 2015. Okay. Just because, again, growing up in a immigrant community, you're always scared. Of course. You know, it, it gets yeah. instilled not only through your parents, but through the community. And, you know, not to get caught and not to speak up because you are the minority. Yeah. You are the, the voice that nobody really hears you. Just put your head down. And I was always against that, you know. Um, but when it came out in 2012, I was like, let me give it a couple more years to see if this is not like a booby trap. Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't <laughs> you know? blame you. Yeah. Because I didn't I know. Like Every, it was new. Yeah. Everything was new. So once it was like three, four years down the road, I was like, all right, let, let me give it a shot. So yeah, I'm in the I'm in the DACA and the US, I guess they couldn't come out with a better name for the people who wanted this program. We call they call them dreamers. Okay, yeah, I saw that yes. and I did get so <laughs> So it's so, linked up. Okay, so yeah. you're a dreamer and you're exactly. in the DACA program. I'm on the DACA and program. So what does that mean? You're a dreamer. Explain to us what that means. So the dreamers is a sense of like again, uh, a, this group of people who just dream to be better in this country, who just dream to have that citizenship, to have the legal status where they could roam around the world freely. Mm -hmm. So right now with this working permit, I have to renew it every two years. But you can renew it every two I years. I could, okay. yeah, I yeah. could get rejected, Yeah. let's okay. say. The last administration was after us. They wanted to get so. rid of it. Yeah, uh, sure they did. But I mean, right now I was doing this other podcast and they were talking to me about uh, uh, statistics and the statistics are crazy. Like we provide more to the economy than any other minority. Yeah. We have been we have proved that this started in 2012 and now is the fruits of those thoughts of that program where you have people that are frontline workers this past year mm -hmm. that are DACA recipients and there are the doctors and the nurses mm -hmm. and the first responders. We have people in the military who fight for this country but are not recognized from this country and they wanted to get they wanted to deport them. So it, it's, still a, very up, up, right? it's still a fucked up situation. So, I mean, my case too, you know. Yeah. I don't think that I'm a parasite to the system. Absolutely I provide not. more. Yeah. I think I've reached, and we'll get to that later, you know, certain levels in my career. Absolutely. You've done and, and in restaurants that most Americans wouldn't even dream of. So I think it's a gift and a curse. Yeah. Like, well, it's how it's, I see it as another fueling point where DACA, if I wasn't DACA, maybe I'll be more easy in life and I'll be more lazy and I wouldn't strive to do better. Yeah. And maybe not having these opportunities is what got me to where I'm at now. So I see it as a blessing. Again, the pura vida mentality, I see it as a blessing and we'll see where it goes. Well, and hopefully at some point there will be a way, you know, for the people in this program to attain citizenship and yeah. not just these two-year permits, right? That's that's what you would. That's what we. That would like is to see because I mean, honestly, what what him what 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 hurts me the most and and I I want the most out of it is to be able to travel the world. You know, and I, you can't travel, I right? Can't travel. Because you can't. I could go out of the country. I can't. You come can't back. get a you can't get an American passport. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm only a working permit, so that yeah. only allows working permit. I mean, you could ask for permission through the U.S. government. And this permission, I think, is like, like a temporary passport. Yeah, it's yeah. like twenty-two or three thousand dollars, something oh, like God. that. It's so, very expensive. So yeah. to make trips like that, yeah. you know, I'm We're like, not, I'm not going to go to Fiji. Not and, that much money yet. Exactly. Yet. One, one day. So there are those exceptions, but you know, this is like a six-month process to see if you get approved or not, and it's very expensive. It's not really worth it. I mean, the uh, the current administration, one of the things that they were talking about before coming into office was to have an eight-year expedited 
process for DACA recipients to become citizens. To become citizens, yeah. Still, I mean, there's a lot going on right now. Yeah, still, that hasn't been uh, touched on. Yeah. But I, I, I'm just hoping that eventually in the next three years. Yeah, that, absolutely. I mean, the immediate thing right now is the economy and obviously pandemic and, and everything that's we happening. Got a lot of problems to deal with. I know, but, I know. But so, this is absolutely super important. And I is. mean, you know, I mean, immigrants <laughs> just make up. It's, it's such a big part of the kitchen story yeah. in, in the United States, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm sure you've probably read all the Anthony Bourdain books and in the kitchens in yeah. New York. And it's just all that's, you it know, is. it's such an important part. Of- but that's why I also love cooking is because again, going against the grain. Um, I travel through cooking. I traveled the world through cooking. I've met so many people from around the world and working in these restaurants, they bring their cultures, they bring their customs, they bring their ingredients, and they teach me how it is back home. And when I grew up in New York in the morning, if I wanted to have a Colombian pastry, I could do that with Colombian coffee in the afternoon. I could go have some Russian tea later on at night. I could go have French classically trained food. It's and nobody could take that away from me. Yeah. No government, yeah. nothing could take that away from me. Yeah. You've traveled through books and everything. So in a way, I am still traveling yeah. in my own mind. Nobody well, could take that away from me. And you've certainly been and, all over the U.S. the past yeah. two months. And gosh, what a beautiful country this It really is. is too. It really Man. is. And yeah. you're not in a bad spot no, either. No, 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 no. Showing me where he goes snowboarding here. <laughs> just right, just walks up the mountain from his from his apartment. So in life Aspen. is good. So yeah. So, life is good. I so life is good. So okay. Well, so take us a little bit then from the you know, from the fast food, from the TGI mm-hmm. Fridays to you were, you know, the sous chef at 11 Madison Park, yes, best yes, yes. restaurant in the world um, and some other fine restaurants in New York. <laughs> so tell us what happened, but, but, yeah. you know, in that gap. So graduating high school, knowing that I couldn't go to college. knowing So that you I couldn't, couldn't go to college because of that? I could go to college, but I would have to pay twice as much tuition. Oh, sure. Just so, because so that's I don't easy, get right? exactly, yeah, okay. you know, because school is definitely not yeah, an issue here. Yeah, get no, it. it's expensive. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so then I saw that example from my sister and um she's two years older than me so i had a choice another wine to section like after the whole incident at tgi fridays was like okay well i need to make something out of my life and i don't want to go down the path of my parents having factory jobs you know i think they sacrificed a lot for me just to be another factory worker. Mm-hmm. So what I ended up doing is I, I went to vocational school during high school. During okay. high school they offered me you know the option of doing half a day in you know, regular high school, and then the other half, they will take me to a vocational school. And part of the programs were like cosmetology, you know, air conditioning, you know, engineering, culinary, and I was already doing culinary. So I was like, great, I'm gonna take culinary. Mm-hmm. So it's a two year program. And I took my first year, this my senior year of high school. Okay. So meaning that I would have graduated and then I would have had to finish the course but it would have been eight thousand dollars to finish the second year okay if you were not enrolled in the school system okay so went up to my parents and we're like well i know we're, we're broke <laughs> and you guys don't have eight thousand dollars to continue my education so what i'm going to do in order for the school to pay maybe hustle in the system i'm going to fail two classes so <laughs> i could still go back to high school so... and i go for those two classes and then I still go for free, and I finish my vocation in school. And it worked? And it worked out. That was I so went- <laughs> smart. Oh, my God. Look at you. I went back to uh, my two teachers. I went to my science teacher because uh, part of the credits that the vocational school would honor at high school was math and science. 
because culinary is like math and science. Yeah. So I went to my math teacher and I went to my chemistry teacher and I was like, I'm going to fill your class so I could come back next year. And they're like, what? Like that, that idea, they were like, <laughs> I, did you just think of this? And I was like, yeah, my parents are cool with it. If you're cool with it, let's <laughs> fucking roll with the idea. And they were. So, uh, yeah, I failed two classes on purpose. And then the next year, I was enrolled still in the school, school system, school district. And I would literally just go for those two classes. But, again, I failed them because the credits that I would get at the vocation school transferred over. Right. So I was going. So you got it. So you, a, a hustle the system. That, you know? So that's People how say you got no. like your, 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 the, your foundation, exactly. really, yeah. in cooking. Exactly. Okay. Um, but, I mean, this vocation school is nothing like the CIA of or Johnson & Wales. But still, that's where you learned like, exactly. how to do. Just because, I don't know, it was like a pride thing that I'm like, I need to show that I went somewhere yeah. and I got further education to my kids or to whatever. I mean, at this point, it's like, At this you know. point, I think that you've done talk <laughs> and you've, you can rest easy that exactly. uh, yeah, you, you, you have made yourself, your family very yeah. proud. So uh, after graduating high school, I was 19 and then um, I'm, I was living in Long Island. Uh, that's where I grew up. And then I moved to New York with like 800 bucks. I lived in the Bronx and it used to take me like about an hour to an hour and a half to commute to and from work. Uh, and yeah, I started work at this Southeast Asian restaurant. So I learned cuisines from like Laos to Cambodia, Vietnam, Thailand, Yum. and Eastern, um, Eastern India. So I learned how to like use the tandoor and make all these naan breads. I never seen a tandoor before. I learned how to make my own curry paste, how to work with fish sauce, bamboo steamers, all these things that was so new to me. Um, yeah, and then after, uh, during my time there, I was there for about two years. And then I saw an ad on the newspaper that talked about Daniel Boulou is opening two new restaurant concepts right next to his established restaurant that is called Barbaloo, which is in front of uh, the Lincoln Center, the Opera House in New York City on 64th and Broadway. And I saw that and I was like, years prior, I would be on the line talking with other chefs and we would talk about all these celebrity chefs and all this fine dining and Michelin. I didn't really know what Michelin was. And to us, it seemed like a place so hard to reach. And now that this opportunity came and I'm like, okay, I'm in New York City. I work here now. Um, I have a little bit of experience, but I'm an immigrant. And I didn't go to culinary school. And Daniel Boulou has kids from all over the world that goes to the best culinary schools to come and stage or to come in and just do an internship for a year. And I'm like, they're not going to take me. Uh, so obviously there's like a plain, like the devil advocate type of thing. Another Y intersection. Uh, what do I do? Uh, so gave it some thought. Definitely crossed my mind. Uh, rained down on me a little bit. And... I was like, I didn't get this far just by putting my head down and saying no when the system, you know, type of kind of puts you down. I was like, fuck it. Let me apply. Sending my resume, obviously having no hopes. And then I get a call. Be like, hey, do you want to come in for a stage at Bar Blue? And I was like, fuck yeah. What? When Look am I there? You. This and that. <laughs> and I went in there. And this is the first time that I've seen a brigade, a kitchen team so big. You know, it ran like an army. Uh, it was insane from the callbacks, from the chefs speaking French and English to the food. It was a fucking control chaos in that place. 
And I'm just walking into like this war zone. The best way I could explain it is like the first 20 minutes of the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan. Oh, God. That's how... <laughs> Exactly. Man. So it's a kid <laughs> who comes in. I was like, "What the fuck is this?" But I'm like, "I want in. Yeah, I want in. Yeah, this is my shot. No, like this. You're never. Coming from a southeastern exactly. Asian restaurant, nothing. And TGI from Fridays, Costa Rica, and you're walking and into this one of the best restaurants in, yeah. in New York City. Yeah. In the world, so really. I was like, I want in, and I did my stage, and then the chef sat down with me at the end, and he's like, "So uh, you did very well. Do you want the job?" And I was like, "Yes." I'll do anything. And yeah, I started working and we were, they were opening the two restaurant concepts right next to each other on that same corner. And um, I helped up open those restaurants, which was amazing. Um, one, one moment I remember that before opening, the, uh, we were opening like maybe two weeks into June. So late May, my chef came up to me and he's like, hey, I know we're off tomorrow night, but Chef Daniel uh, wants to show off his new concepts to a couple of friends. Do you want to work tomorrow night? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, um, well, it's going to be the James Beard after party. What? The James Beard, it was <laughs> no. right across the street oh at Lincoln God. Center. No big deal. So oh the James God. Beard is pretty much like the Oscars yeah. for culinary. Yeah. So I was like, fuck yeah, I want to work. Dude, and then he yeah. goes like, well, you're going to be on the Oyster Station. And he and he's like, you ever opened an oyster before? And I was like, yeah, of course. Never fucking opened an oyster <laughs> in my life. Never. And it's not easy to open an oyster if you haven't done it. Okay. I know. I've tried I know. it before. I picked some up one time. I was like, oh, I can show you. Uh, no, I think I had twelve. I think I got into two and cut my hand off. So I was like, yeah, chef. Of course, I opened an oyster. I'll come in my day off and I'll work this after party. To me, men like rubbing shoulders with of like course. celebrity chefs Absolutely. and this and that. And I was like, fuck yeah. So obviously. I lied. Uh, went home that night. Got took the train. Took the train to to the Bronx. Went home that night and started watching a whole bunch of YouTube videos of how to open oysters. And stayed up till late night, kind of everything. I was examining everything, doing the the, the movements, like mimicking them. Did you go them. buy a bunch? No, no, because they're it was, expensive, right? Yeah, you can't buy them. oysters to so practice then on. The next day, took the train down to work and went past my stop onto uh, Columbus Circle, which is the next stop after the restaurant, and went into Williamson, Sonoma, and bought, at that time, I had no idea, but now it was the most fucking expensive oyster knife I could have <laughs> bought ever. Because now Exactly. It was like fucking 50 bucks. Oh my God. Hey, I got, didn't know. You got a good one. All right. I guess you need so. the best one. I didn't know. So I'm like, okay, I'm ready. And like, again, mimicking. Now I have the oyster knife. I'm taking, I'm walking up the block, mimicking the movements, this and that. Get to the party time. We're setting up. And then I'm working next to Chef Fabrizio. Fabrizio is like Danielle Boulou's right hand person. Okay. So I'm like, fuck. Okay. I can't act nervous. <sighs> Take it easy. Blah, blah, blah. 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock rolls around, and then there's security and all these people, and they're like, all right, James Beard just let out from across the street. Everybody's walking over, and cool. I'm like, okay, don't get nervous. Don't get nervous. <laughs> and I'm next to Fabrizio. I'm kind of like hiding from him, opening the oyster so he doesn't see that I'm an amateur and never fucking done this in my life. And then the first person that I look up that I serve my oyster to was fucking Thomas Keller. <laughs> <laughs> 
no I pressure look, I look at up, all. And then oh. I'm like, hi. And he goes like, hi, chef. How you doing? Oh, and in my mind, I'm like, don't call me that. I'm not worth <laughs> you calling me chef. Oh, <laughs> it's God. fucking Thomas Keller. Tall, wow. handsome guy yeah. with like a very calm yeah. demeanor. And I'm like, fuck. So I remember he had three Shigokus from Washington State mm. and two Kumamoto's. You five the oysters. Order. Yeah. Oh my God. Five oysters. And he's tasting them. And I'm like, fuck, you better have no shell. Those oysters better not be punctured. Those better be like lumpy and juicy. Yeah. You got yeah, them open. I got them open. No struggle. No struggle. Dude. And he had the five oysters. He tasted the last Kumamoto, put it down. And he goes, like, Thank you very much, chef. Enjoy your evening. That to me was the fucking highlight. <laughs> That was the best, biggest compliment you had ever gotten in your life. I know, I know. It was insane. So, yeah, little did I know that was also like another accomplishment and things that just kept on fueling me when, again, people told me no or my my circumstances said you can't do it. I was like, no, I am going to do it. Uh, So I worked there. Um, I worked for Dynex. That's Daniel Boulou's restaurant group. uh, Mm -hmm. Five years. And then I got the opportunity to work. Um, I was 25, and I got the opportunity to work on my first Michelin mm-hmm. restaurant, which is Cafe Boulou. I worked under Gavin Kaysen. Gavin Kaysen is the coach for the U.S. team of the Cous d'Or, which is the Olympics for culinary. It's every two years. Oh. Uh, so he's the coach for the U.S. So, again, we have people like Grant Ackett's come to Cafe yeah. Boulou because he was, like, the assistant coach. We had Thomas Keller, who was the CEO. The president was Daniel Boulou, like, all these heavy hitters. Um, <clears throat> so I got, I got started in that Michelin world. I really liked the finesse, really liked everything. Um, so I was with that company for five years. After five years, I was like, you know what? I'm going to start from scratch. I told my chef at Cafe Boulou, I'm quitting. And he's like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm just, I did a one star. I want to do a two star now. And then he's like, all right, you know, this and that. And then when I kind of pinned it down to my choices, my choices was either Momofuku Co. Or a restaurant called The Terra in New York City, two star Michelin. And I decided to go at Terra. Okay. When I told Matera, he's like, you are fucking crazy. You're yeah. wasting your time. I was classically French trained for yeah. the past five years and, and different concepts throughout the whole Daniel Boulou empire. Now I'm literally starting from scratch. I'm starting from the bottom. And at that time, it was this big Scandinavian and Nordic movement of restaurants. Noma had been at the front of number one restaurant in the world. Things like foraging, things like cuisine from Denmark, Switzerland, I mean, uh, Sweden, Finland, all these Nordic countries was kind of like the move now. So the only place in New York City, and I, I was saying the U.S. that was doing something similar was Atera. So I decided to start Atera, and oh, man, it was it was crazy. It was like yeah. European-style kind of hours. You start like at 9 o'clock in the morning. You're done like around 2 or 3. Uh, it's only one team. You're doing all the prep. You're doing service. It was an open kitchen. So it's, uh, what is it, 18 seats around the counter and like five seats at a corner table. Mm-hmm. And you had two seatings every night. So you're looking anywhere between 40, 40 to 45 guests. Mm-hmm. Uh, tasting menu, 20 courses, each seating. Wow. Uh, and you're cooking and yeah. you're presenting the dishes. And this time, you know, you need to have finesse. Yeah. You need to... You know, not panic when things aren't going right. You're, you're not behind closed doors. You're on it's, display. It's a show. Yeah, and it's, it's like a, restaurant wars. It's exactly. It's exactly. <laughs> you were it. ready. It was <laughs> fucking <A. laughs> It's exactly it. Uh, and yeah, so I was I was there for two years. Um, and no, I'm sorry, I was there for a year. And then I was like, okay, well, what else is new? 
I did a one star, I did a two star. Fuck it, let's do a three star, you know? Uh, but I'm like, in New York City, what were the choices? Either John George, which is classically French, uh, Le Bernardin, same thing. And the only restaurant that kind of caught my attention was 11 Madison Park. So got to go to 11 Madison Park, did like three stages, nailed them. They called me back for a position. And at that point, you have to start again from zero. Most people at this point in their career, they're like, no, no. I'm not, not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to stay here, work. this and that. But I was like, I want to just learn. I yeah. want to work with the best because I remember Daniel Balu gave me a book and one of his best advices when I first started working, he goes like, if you want to be the best, you have to work with the best. Uh, and I started as a commie as the kitchen help at a three-star Michelin. I didn't have to do that. Yeah, I yeah. Had some you were skills cooking at a two-star Michelin exactly. already. Um, but I decided to do that. So I also called me for about two days. <laughs> and then some people last month, I was just for two days. And then I was put on Garmage. And then during that time, um, a lot of the number one restaurants in the world were in Europe and in Asia. And... We got awarded number one in 2017, which was uh, crazy. It's an amazing time to be alive. And you're yeah. a sous chef there. And no, no, I started as a cook. You started as a cook. Exactly. But eventually, I worked myself up the ranks. Yes. And then I became a sous chef. And then I got the opportunity to travel with the pop-up teams. One of them was in uh, the Hamptons. The other one is in Aspen, Summer House and Winter House. And I would go between New York to the Hamptons to Aspen just with that traveling team. Uh, again, another great opportunity, and Sounds it was amazing. amazing. Uh, Is we that had, when you just thought you were coming to Aspen? Yeah. You were kind of like, okay, yeah. I could maybe live it was. in Aspen. I mean, I remember the first summer house. There's actually a documentary called Seven Days Out on Netflix, and okay. I, I'm in it. Yeah. Uh, and it's like seven days before reopening the, new, the number one restaurant in the world because we went through some remodeling and whatnot. And uh, we were living in the Hamptons, and like we were like the talk of the town because – we were sponsored by American Express and BMW. So we, the first time that I went, we had a house that housed 20 people. And we had a basketball court, a volleyball court, a tennis court, and a kind of Olympic pool in the Hamptons. Jeez, dude. Rent free. <laughs> Rent <Red> free. <laughs> and then BMWs gave us brand new BMWs to drive around that summer. That sounds like a little like Top Chef, actually. <laughs> oh you guys driving around in the Exactly. That's why when I got to Top Chef, I was like, oh, I done this, guys. But from, from Burger King to yeah. being the sous chef at the best restaurant in the world. Yeah. Literally yeah, the yeah. best restaurant yeah. in the world. An immigrant. An immigrant country when you the were seven first, years old yeah the first uh, latino costa rican that has ever gotten that far that it, i would what, say yeah. so it's, it's fucking crazy now that you I think should about be it. so proud i mean that's <laughs> such you. a great story being costa rica yeah. proud making yeah. your family proud exactly yourself proud yeah um, yeah but i guess it didn't story. uh the blessings didn't end there you know then, yeah uh, and then we haven't even gotten like, so let's okay so so okay tell me and you know we've had we've had sarah and avishar uh -huh. on and you know i know showed but tell me you guys audition for Top Chef or they call you yeah. and ask you to audition. Tell us a yeah. little bit about how you got on the show. For me, um, I was the same thing as, I guess, everyone last April. Just kind of day drinking and, you know, the restaurant got shut down. We couldn't go out. Nothing was open. And I was just kind of strolling through, like, you know, the, the web. And I was like... Let, let me try it for this Top Chef thing. I'm like, I'm never going to get it, but whatever. <laughs> and I just, like, send out a, I think it was my resume or something like that. And then, like, a week later, I get a call by a casting agent. And she's like, hey, came across your resume. 
I looked at everything. I've been kind of like doing some research and like it's very, very impressive. Would you like to consider uh, being a cast member of the new Top Chef season 18? And I was like, sure, let's go for the ride. Let's <laughs> see what it. this is about. Yes. And um, yeah, so that's how it kind of got in the show. Uh, I mean, it's a very lengthy. Yeah, so you audition after that, yeah, right? Then, you, you know, through, you got to like weeks of auditioning. Yeah, you got to yeah. like submit videos. videos and pictures and articles and, and like then you got us a waiting period. Then one person approves it, then you got to wait more until I finally got the cold late July. And I was in the middle service, and <clears throat> I guess my I had my phone on silent, and I was just kind of you know working service. And like around eight o'clock, I get like three emails and like ten text messages and like two voicemails. They like, we're trying to reach you. Can you please reach us? This is so and so from Top Chef. This and that. Like three different people reached out, and then I went to the walk and I called back. She was like, just wanted to let you know that congratulations, and you are part of the Top Chef family. Welcome to Top Chef season eighteen. Oh <laughs> my god. Standing in the walk-in, hour exactly. on the call. That's and the worst thing is like you couldn't say anything to no one. You couldn't even tell anyone you were going to be no, on the show. Nothing, nothing, nothing. So when you go to do the show, you had to tell the restaurant that you were doing. The yeah, show. certain people you were allowed, but not everyone. Not everyone. Knew. Like I mean, yeah. I, I was. Someone was telling me from the production team that uh, Joe Flam, he was a competitor in uh, season fourteen in the Colorado one. He won it. They said that he has a relationship with his grandma all the time. They, they talk like every day and he couldn't even tell his grandma Aww. and his grandma didn't know. Like after two months, she was worried. She was like asking the family, where's Joe? He hasn't contacted us, blah, blah, blah. And he couldn't say anything. Oh, no. so, <laughs> it goes up to that extent. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. And that just kind of. And now that I think about it, that kind of prepares you through like the rigorous competition period while you're there it yeah. is i mean i worked at mission restaurants i worked in the number one restaurant in the world i worked yeah at, you've been in some you know, high pressure situations this is the hardest shit i've done in my life yeah it is real yeah right? i mean you can Ugh, you can tell the time is real yeah. the, the getting in your head space is real uh the exhaustion i mean you're filming 16 18 hours a day nonstop. yeah uh, yeah it's it's intense so for me watching previous seasons sitting on the fucking couch and being like, I would have done that. Oh, oh hell no. Now I keep my mouth shut. And you already <laughs> now, said that. Now you're like, <laughs> yeah, you're like, I don't know. A lot more forgiving now, are we? So now whoever we... says that, they have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah. I mean, and this season, too, we know was, you know, obviously I feel a very, obviously very special. But, you know, since everything was shut down and we've talked about this, it kind of gave – you know, the show, a wider talent pool to pull from because yeah. nobody was turning them down because they, y'all were, every restaurant was closed. Well, what also I find as a blessing for me to participate on the, be part of this cast is the fact that everyone and their mothers across the planet had time to do something like this. Everyone, I'm pretty sure they must have gotten so many applications. They must have gotten through so many people because no one else had nothing else to do. Yeah. So instead of running restaurants, let me see if I keep busy and do a television show. So the fact that I was one of the 15 absolutely. contestants mm -hmm. is, to me, I was like, that's that's a triumph. Yeah, itself. absolutely. You know, that's just because, yeah. So getting, and you're getting chosen for Top Chef. And then um, this season, like, I mean, the cow, this is the first season where there's like no sous chefs, no, no executive sous chefs, no line cooks. Mm -hmm. 
everyone is like executive chef or yeah. chef owner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every single So person. that's another thing that, you know, yeah. once you get to that room and yeah. for, I think, first episode, she's like, so enough about me. So how many of you guys have been nominated for a James Beer and like half of the room race? Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck am yeah. I doing here? <laughs> this shit got real. pressure, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah that was so. an insane talent pool this year. <laughs> and also just a great diverse representation uh, yes, of contestants. Yeah. A lot, you know, a great, you know, male to female ratio yeah. and super cool to see, to Ethnicities see, to see and that. Cooking styles Absolutely. and personalities. And how and, well you guys mesh together. I, yeah. You know, I remember like one episode showed us having to cook something mexican style uh-huh. and he's like i'm just doing everything i've been watching maria do <laughs> exactly you know but it just it, and that's a cool thing that we got inspired by yeah. each other and, and and integrating with each other and and yes it's a competition yes it's very cutthroat yes you know people are going to be assholes or sabotage or anything but i think what made it different this season is that we had the human touch yeah because we all were going i mean to me that was a business session or a business you know segment that i learned 14 different ways how these 14 different chefs are doing businesses and how they're dealing with the pandemic and how they're dealing with the restaurants how they're uh you know pivoting things like that so that was a great learning experience but also Yes, it is a competition, but we had that camaraderie with each other. Yeah. We were not assholes and we needed help. We were there because we were all going through the same pains. Mm-hmm. We were all going through the same struggles. And at the end of the day, instead of putting somebody down, I think what society and humanity should do is lift each other up. Because uh, this wasn't easy. This past year has not been easy for anyone. No. Not only the the, the restaurant industry, but, but people, I mean, there's so many people that career changes and, and absolutely are still getting yeah. the ripple effects from what Look happened at the a year ago industry right now the struggles that we're yeah. going through yeah, yeah. everyone i'm sure y'all are hiring for every position are. Are you? yeah, yeah and it's just we it's, can't find people yeah because a lot of people, people in the service industry. And, and, and i don't blame him because i mean uh, it's been a talk in the industry of so many years of people being like something needs to change we need to pay our people more we right. need to you know wages and lifestyles and this and that and and yeah there's been some progress now we're seeing that people are right. Yeah. They're not going to come back to and work. people aren't going to put up with no, it. they're people, not. And the, they shouldn't. No, and they, and shouldn't. they shouldn't. People deserve a good quality of life. So they, it's it's hard to balance that. It because is. as a business, as a business owner, you got to be like, okay, well, how am I going to start making money? Because the chain supply is also very hard. Like Because there's not enough farmers now. Mm-hmm. There's not enough people that deliver from point A to point B. So now the product has to be more expensive. So now that reflects on the menu. Mm-hmm. So now are the guests going to complain because now it's your Caesar expensive. salad yeah, is not it's, $20. It's now it's expensive. $25. And that's the thing that people need to get educated. And the service is slower and because serv- you don't have enough people exactly. in the restaurant. And you're so not trying to burn you out to, who you, you have. you got to pay more if you want to eat out. So, so it's-, it's it affects everything. But I am really hopeful that this is a turning point, not only for the people who work in the industry, but also for people to realize that the past year, maybe take it for granted, going out to the restaurant is almost like a luxury. Yeah, it's it, something it is. That it is, is nice. a luxury. Yeah. And that got stripped away from mm-hmm. everybody for mm-hmm. the past year. Now they should appreciate your local neighborhood, you know, your mom and pop shop, mm-hmm. whether that's a wine shop or that's a restaurant or a bakery, whatever it is, and just support each other. You know, big corporate, yeah, they manage and they have their own food chain mm-hmm. and supply chain and everything. Us, mom and pop shop, we don't. And we're trying to survive. And all we want to do is just serve food and have people have a good time at our tables. 
So I'm hoping, I'm hoping, you know, this changes a little bit more and, and everybody ends up winning at the end. Well, and I think, you know, we saw it this year. If you, the places you didn't go to didn't make it. So yep. people really, you know, mm -hmm. they're, where they spent their dollars, it mattered. Yeah, and we're really coming did. out of this with a lot fewer restaurants yeah. than, than we went in. Well, um, all right, we got to talk about Top Show just a little more. Yeah, I want to know what was your favorite episode? Yes. I think I know the answer. <laughs> oh, okay. Tell I me. have a few. Okay. Um, so the first one was, I can't remember chronologically <laughs> when okay. it happened. Well, it was uh, feeding the frontline workers. Yeah, that was just so crazy. That was so intense. And the reason why is because at the end, I had a realization point that I was like, what the fuck moment. Um, so we were running around for like two hours. We didn't know what the pantry was going to be like. We're on all this PPE equipment, you know, muffled with this mask, mm -hmm. sprinting, carrying these cases of potatoes. You know, the only thing available was pretty much just chicken breast because there's a budget. When you, when you go and do this relief, you know, kind of cooking, whether it's a hurricane or whatever, um, you know, these workers have a, a certain budget that they can't go past because they're feeding the masses. So I think our budget was like $3 and something for each person. And that's how much, yeah. So that's where we have cases of potatoes. You know, we had to cook in these large batches. So running around and getting everything cooked and then putting it away. And, and at the end, I was so exhausted that I like took off my mask and I was like breathing heavy and I was like, fuck this shit. I've been running around and like, I just need like five minutes. Give me my own time. And when I was sitting down, I was like, wow, here I am complaining because I just ran around two hours to cook. And these doctors and frontline workers, they have no choice. And if a person dies, they move on to the next one. And they move on to the next one. And they, I had two hours. They don't have an end of their shift. They know when they need to go in. They, need to, but they don't know when they need to. So I'm like, why am I complaining? You know, that hit me really hard. And, yeah, so that was one. <laughs> but that's, you know, a great self-reflection moment yeah. for you. And what a, I mean, I remember that. I mean, I obviously watched them all. And that mm -hmm. was a very touching. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, and then the second one was the Native American Challenge. Okay, that's not the one I thought you were going to uh, say. No. You're surprising me with your choices. I had two in my mind. Okay, that Love you guys the drive-in? Of course. $10,000. Yeah, right? I know. I know. When did they pay you? Have you gotten uh, that money I yet? No, not yet. I think they went into the end and yeah. everything, which, I mean, they have expertise in that. So yeah. I'm pretty sure they yeah, had the trial and error prior. All right, Bravo, if you're listening, <laughs> Byron's waiting for his $10,000 exactly. chicken wings, right? No, chicken nugget. Chicken nugget. Yeah, the golden nugget. Uh, and then my, yeah, the second one was a native American, um, working with Maria was very inspirational to me. Yeah. Her and I come almost from the same culture background, mm -hmm. but our cooking styles are like totally different. So it was a way, I mean, we treated that challenge as like, Hey, let's be blunt with each other. Mm -hmm. Let's go, let's let go of this ego and pride. Let's be really honest with each other. Um, but the way we assemble our dish and the, there's two reasons why this was my favorite. One was because the way that the Native Americans explain how they grow their things and how they eat their food was first comes the fish, which is the salmon. Second comes the four-legged animals. Third comes like whatever is grown on the soil, like potatoes or mm -hmm. mushrooms, so on and forth. Fifth comes like the berries. That's how they explain it to us. And we build a dish like that. So when we build a dish, it was a surf and turf. 
I had salmon that I smoked. And then uh, Maria had venison, I believe, or bison. Forget the cut of meat. But anyway, so we assembled it that the first thing that we eat on top will be the salmon. Then mm-hmm. dig into the uh, the beef, the meat. Then there's a mushroom puree, and then that everything ties is with with a, a berry sauce. So I wanted to give homage to these people because to me, I felt like they invited us to sacred lands. Absolutely, you know. So to pay that respect, and I, I think I said it on the episode where I was like, "I'm not cooking for the judges today," and I told Maria we were like, "We're not cooking. We're cooking to pay respect." To these Native Americans, and uh, we had their favorite dish. Yeah, I don't know how we ended up on the bottom, but whatever. Yeah, but we had their favorite dish. I guess not the judge's favorite dish, but, but we the, had. You had the exactly. people who you were cooking for. Exactly, yeah. and that to me was, if I would have went home that challenge and I would have gotten that comment that we had their favorite dish and gone home for that, great. But that to me, that I felt like we won that challenge because that was our our main target was to cook for them. I know that was a cool experience yeah. too, and such a you're in the um in the Columbia River. Yeah, oh my god, just, yeah, there was this rainbow. Hood, 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 and, yeah, oh yeah, like double. Ridiculous. Yeah, it was like ridiculous. <laughs> like a dream. I mean, the Pacific Northwest is so yes. beautiful. Very, very beautiful. My first time there. Yeah, I always dreamed of going, and uh, it's better than my dreams. Oh, <laughs> and now you've been back. You've been, yeah. Did yeah. the, the pop-up with Shoda and, and the dinner with Shota and Sarah. Yeah, and so Pacific Northwest has a special place in my Well, heart. we got to get out there for some snowboarding. Yes, at, for at sure. We got a lot of that out there. And the there. places you recommended, the islands, what was it, the ferry? Oh, and... yeah, the Bainbridge Island. But yes, did you, yes. Did, you didn't, no, yeah, we got I out, okay. I know, Next time, I know. We, had fun at, we had fun at Ben Paris. We yes, Ben Quentin, Paris is great. Uh, and... Obviously, Park Street Market. Yeah. Uh, all, all, yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a fun it's a fun place and it's coming back too. It's awesome. great to see good, things good, reopening good. and That's yeah, things coming back alive. Well, um, we got to touch on restaurant wars yes. quickly. Yes, of course. I mean that was I mean <laughs> the best restaurant wars ever is what the judges. That's what said. the judges were saying. And I mean, yeah. you guys just yeah you killed it, man. Yeah. Like that was like a. I was like, y'all were like in, in sync. That was like a symphony. <laughs> Great, because it wasn't like that behind the scenes. But it, like, but certain points, certain points. You yeah. know, it's it's definitely a new concept for the whole, you know, uh, rollout of the show. Um, and what I was always thinking, obviously my time in Terra, I knew how to, you know, my choreograph in that kind of setting. But everything is raw out there. You have... 15 guests that are sitting around the table that are chefs Mm -hmm. that know what happens behind the scenes that could read your body language could read the atmosphere around and and obviously don't bullshit with the food yeah yeah Uh, you're not yeah no pressure yeah uh it was all of that and it came to the point where again pride and ego and all the stuff was set aside um Maria and I knew that we were going to do for other house. Mm-hmm. And then Shota, you know, with Adana and his other tasting restaurants, he's like, I'll take care of this. Yeah. And at that point, you could be like, no, well, I want to do it. No, well, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And and how I see it, it's like a, what I call a, what, this is called a mosaic painting, mm-hmm. where it's like a thousand pictures. Mm-hmm. But if you zoom in, you'll see like three or four. But mm-hmm. as you zoom out, it's like all these pictures put together in different yeah. shades and form a face, let's yeah. say. And I was like, I want to be one of those pictures. The bigger picture, we'll get to Everybody it. Everybody do their job. But all those little details is what's going to make this service great. 
I mean, uh, we started with uh, muses. You know, I had one of the first courses, which it was uh, cured salmon with a homemade curry sauce. And I think Kwame was like, this is one of the best things I've eaten. And oh, like, they loved it. Yeah. And then like the hot pot. That the was, hot like, pot. Oh, idea, my right? God. Yeah. Like, And I just like the whole concept, just like the your heart and the Latino yes. Asian. Just the name. Overla- the name was, was really cool. Just so, yeah. I mean, it, I mean yeah. two, two Latinos, two, two Asians. I, just, yeah. I mean, it was such a... And you'll just, I mean, the other team did great, but you yeah. guys had a personal, it was so, exactly. it was so close to you, what you were yeah. doing. You literally like combined the word heart in those languages, and you know, that's what we and wanted. you put your heart into it and yeah. you, you could really, you know, you could really, really tell. And, um, that was the initial plan. The initial plan, again, is starting with the, I come from very fine dining cuisine. Obviously, Shota does very good at Makase fine dining. You know, then you have the more rustic, where it's uh, uh, Maria, and then you have like the infusion of like Vietnamese and Latin mm-hmm. with Jamie. So that whole concept made sense. Um, again, to me, the hot pot, it literally the four of us had a component in that dish, you know, and we presented it that any culture around the world has a hot pot dish, mm-hmm. whether it's chicken noodle soup mm-hmm. or what we made in restaurant wars or a Vietnamese curry, mm-hmm. you know, where families through generations have gathered around the table and there's the one main dish. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't be any happier, obviously, with yeah. the results. I mean, I, I don't think it could have been, it could have been any better. The where, best uh, restaurant wars I think, uh, ever. I honestly think that Brown is going to have a hard time topping this one. Off. I think so. so it's up to you guys. Season I, 19. So season sorry. 19. <laughs> and then we're going to mention this. Uh, there may be a Cocos on pop. There is in something. The I mean, uh, Shota has been on the worst with that. Obviously, um, I will possibly like to bring him here to Aspen. Oh, we'll see. maybe Aspen too. So yes. Yeah, so but there is something in the works. Yeah. By uh, by popular demand, I will say. Everybody wants to have that meal. So, so you're hearing it first. Yeah. Exclusively. So everyone, if you're if you're listening, if you liked the the restaurant wars yes. episode, which we know everyone did, yeah. make sure you're following. Yeah. Shota and Byron and Maria and Jamie and, Jamie and everybody. And they'll yeah. be you know you'll be seeing it, and I can yeah. tell you these. Events are going to sell out. Fast. I know, I know. Right. So people get your tickets, whatever city it is. Travel to those cities. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. yeah. I can't wait. I our first one I'm may so be. Excited. I think San Diego. I think San Diego so, is the first one we're know, planning. Yeah, so, and you know, there's the, still the rest of the year, and yeah. there's this, this next year. So uh, we're going to start uh, in the West Coast. It's going to be so. Fun. And uh, I'm able to squeeze in some surfing, which I'm, I'm oh, really happy. Oh, of course you surf. And, uh, you, do, you do all the things. So uh, yeah, I'm happy. So San Diego. Uh, you heard it first here. You heard it first. Let's go. <laughs> be, be paying attention. Maybe you can get maybe get some of those yep. tickets if you if yep. you act fast. Well, Amazing. I'll see you there. I think I'm going to come down for it if Looking I'm, forward to if it. I'm lucky enough. Oh, come Man. on, please. You're part of the crew already. Got to have that hot pot, right? <laughs> Let's go. Yes. Well, Byron, this was so much fun. Yes. I could talk to you for another hour. I know, right? you know I, I have to limit it. I have to stop myself. We got to. So so we're here. We're going. He's going to go cook now, you yeah. guys. He's going to yeah. cook some stuff for me. The kitchen's going to cook some stuff. We're going to take. Have some, some photos, fun. and then I'm gonna I'm gonna eat too. Great! So it's gonna be a great day. It's gonna it's a great day already. It's always good to see you. Thank chef. you so much. Thank you so much, everyone. Chef Byron Gomez. You can find him on Instagram, the internet, all the things. Thank you, Chef. Amazing. Thank you for having me. You're always a pleasure. Pura vida. Pura vida. <laughs>